This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello here and welcome again to another edition of the Husker Online show. We are less than a week today, just days away, Nate and Robin. Um, from the start of spring practice as Nebraska will open up Monday. They'll practice six times here before the uh, UNL spring break hits, and then they'll come back another nine days for practicing in the red-white game after spring break. So uh, pretty similar format to, to what we've seen at Nebraska. And, guys, as the week started, though, we got really a bombshell piece of news, and I don't think any of us were all that surprised. There had been a lot of smoke, a lot of rumblings, about maybe the future of J.D. Spielman uh, on Monday morning at about 10.30. Head coach Scott Frost sent out a statement that Spielman uh, has left the program um, at least temporarily at this point to, to a- address a personal issue back in Minnesota, went home um, about a couple of weeks ago. He remains enrolled in classes, and the plan is for Spielman to come back hopefully uh, when summer conditioning resumes back in May. But a- as you size up the situation I don't know how you guys feel, but I, I just don't have a very good feel that we'll see J.D. Spielman back at Nebraska. It's early, I know, but it just doesn't feel good right now that we'll ever see him again. I just want to know what the track record is for guys that up and leave a program for quote-unquote personal issues and then come back. I mean, it seems like the writing on the wall is there even though the door is technically still open. Um, and what makes this such a unique situation is um, no one really knows what's what JD's going through right now. I mean, obviously there's been a lot of rumors and speculation, but um, clearly this was a, a situation that was bad enough that, you know, he had to basically be picked up by his mom and brought back home uh, in the middle of uh, winter conditioning, you know, just before the start of spring ball. Uh, and now his, you know, not only his future at Nebraska, but his football future is kind of up in the air right now. So um, a lot to be kind of unraveled there as we go forward over the next couple of months. But I'm with you, Sean. I think Nebraska... It's probably needing to operate as if J.D. Spielman has played his last snap as a Husker. And unless that changes, uh, which would obviously be a welcomed uh, re-addition to that receiving core, they're going to have to do a lot of work in terms of filling his void as not only, you know, one of the best receivers on the team, probably the best receiver on the team, but uh, one of the best overall players and, you know, go, a guy that is whole, owns multiple records uh, of, for single season and career receiving yards. I mean, this is a guy that um, has been as consistent and dynamic of a player Nebraska's had over the past two seasons and now um, with an already thin receiving core they got to try and replace that void which is going to be easier said than done yeah I think you're crazy if you're expecting JD to come back I think that it'd be wise to go ahead and and think that he has played his last game uh, as a Husker and and if he does make it back then to be you know consider that a, a huge bonus but I, I just I just don't see it happening. I, and I don't know about that track record, but I'm, I'd venture to say it's not very good um, that that players come back in these types of situations. And, and you know, and, and it's it's a bad deal all the way, all the way around. I mean, for JD, it's a bad deal for the team. Um, you know, it's it's kind of shocking when you when you like you said, Robin. He's he's got a chance to just pretty much rewrite every single record in. Um, it, it, at Nebraska, uh, as far as wide receivers go, both for a season, for for a career, whatever, and um, you know, and, and f- for whatever he's dealing with, uh, that you know, he's he's basically walking away from it. So, 
Um, yeah, I think it's an unfortunate situation, and it does kind of put the put the Huskers in a bind heading into spring ball, uh, especially. Yeah, and the question is, will he if he doesn't play for Nebraska, would he attempt to play for somewhere else? Um, if things got in line, um, you know, he, he's a long ways away from graduating. Um, so, you know, that that graduate transfer route doesn't seem likely at this point based on the knowledge of information I have. Um, could he get a waiver to, say, play somewhere closer to home if being closer to home is something that he needs for this reason why he's left? I mean, I, I think these are all questions people have. But number one, most importantly, you know, you, you hope whatever he's dealing with, he he's, you know, taking care of it and, and getting it in line. But there's already discussions on our site. You know, could we see J.D. Spielman at Minnesota playing for the Gophers next year if he got a waiver? And um, I, I think that is going to be the chatter over the offseason, you know, until we really know what his plans are. Will he be back in Nebraska? If not Nebraska, would he apply for a waiver to maybe play for someone like the Gophers? Yeah, that would, uh, you know, throw a big bowl full of salt right on the Nebraska's wounds when not only you lose one of your best offensive players, but – then he transfers to a division rival who coincidentally, you know, needs some uh, holes to fill on their uh, receiving core as well. Uh, that would be, you know, a, a, a double shot to the gut there. So, um, you know, again, it's still so early in this process to really speculate too far as to what's going to happen with JD. And, you know, we got to continue to say the door is still open for him to come back. And just because it's rare that players in these circumstances do doesn't mean that, you know, he, there's still not a, a slim chance that he couldn't come back. But again, I think wherever he ends up, the likelihood of him being back at Nebraska seems pretty slim at this point. And I want to be that conspiracy theorist um, that is, you know, some we've got some popular ones on the on the Red Sea Scrolls. But I mean, look at the wording in in that release. I mean, it kind of sets up for you know for a potential um, you know appeal to get in a wa- to get a waiver or something. You know as far as, you know, uh, personal issues and needing to be back home and whatnot. So, you know, I, I think anything anything is possible at this point in, in time. I, I definitely wouldn't rule out uh, him playing again and, and certainly wouldn't rule out him possibly trying to play at a place uh, closer to home like Minnesota. Well, Nebraska guys, they signed the number three ranked recruit, uh, receiver class in the country, according to Rivals.com. Only behind, I believe it was Clemson and Ohio State or Georgia and Ohio State um, were just ahead of Nebraska and Nate in, yep. in the rankings. Um, that's the good news. The bad news is um, four of those guys aren't here yet, um, which means for spring practice, technically, and I use technically, there are only four scholarship receivers currently on the roster um, going through practice. You'll have Wondell Robinson, um, who is clearly your leader in the clubhouse of that room at this point, Alante Brown, a newcomer uh, that came from a prep school, and then two redshirt freshmen, Demarion Houston and Jamie Nance, who had very, very quiet true freshman years that really didn't get a lot of chatter in a year where they easily could have broke through based on how poor the receiver position was. Now, with that said, Cade Warner um, you know, is like a scholarship guy. He's played a lot the last two years. I'd expect him to be a scholarship guy. And then Chris Hickman, is a scholarship tight end that's going to probably permanently move to receiver. So um, it's not good. It's going to get better. It's not as bad, though, as it appears when you just say just four. There's more than four, uh, but it sure as heck doesn't feel good today. Well, yeah, especially you got to kind of realize where Nebraska is right now is going to look completely different than where they look in the fall when all those freshmen come in uh, and add some desperately needed depth to that position. But right now, you know, Nebraska's just got to figure it out for this spring and work with 
the players that they have available. And I guess the good news is that for a Demarion Houston or a Jamie Nance, the window of opportunity will never be bigger than it will be for them this spring. And they will have ample opportunity to capitalize on reps that maybe they otherwise wouldn't have gotten and looks with first team offense and, um, you know, eyeballs from the coaches on them that um, they could potentially make a move if, you know, they're able to capitalize. So, um, you know, there's always a, a silver lining to this type of deal. And for those guys, this is definitely an opportunity. I would throw Hickman in there too. I mean, all three of those guys, uh, this, this spring is huge for, for those guys to, to go ahead and, and step up and, and not just step up as as maybe you know a, a guy that can contribute this this fall, but maybe step up and and uh, separate themselves from the pack as as like you know and supplant themselves as as a you know a definite guy uh, that that is going to be in the rotation. And and by the way, you've got a brand new uh, position coach that you're going to be wanting to impress. Um, you know, this, this spring as well. So, um, you know, and all those guys are kind of starting, starting fresh with, uh, with Matt Lubick. So I mean, there's a lot of layers to this whole story, I think that, is, that are kind of intriguing, but um, yeah, for Nance and Houston and Hickman, those are three guys. I, I think this, this spring could not be bigger for. All right, guys, hold those spring football thoughts. When we come back, we'll continue the discussion here on spring practice. Next, you're listening to the Husker online show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callen, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, as we continue our discussion of spring practice, guys. And I wanted to take it here on our next topic, guys that need big springs. And, you know, that's really, to me, what spring's always about. Sure, you get position battles, but it's kind of an opportunity for guys to solidify, to battle, to maybe rise up under opportunities. And I'm going to start it out right here with with both offensive guards. I think Trent Hickson and Bo Wilson – they're coming for you guys. Matt Farniak's moving to guard. Uh, you got Ethan Piper. You got Nuri Nuelli. Um, Everyone is gunning right now to knock out those two starting guards. Um, and, you know, that's if Farniak moves inside from tackle to guard. There's still things that we don't know about that. But that's where I look right now on offense, where the competition's going to be, is how they shake it up. And particularly, it just feels like Wilson and Hickson are the two guys that they're going to really stage some pretty big battles against um, at those guard positions. I think far and away, offensive line is going to have you know the best position battles kind of across the board. And um, yeah, you're right. That those guards are going to be as heated as anything, um, especially if you know Will Farn or Matt Farniak does move inside the guard as we expect. But um, you know, I think you can take that you know a different layer where um, you know is is a uh, Bryce Benhart ready to take over at right tackle? I mean, I think that's where it starts. I mean, Farniak's not moving if Benhart's not ready, and everybody expects him to be ready. I mean, he is a um, highly praised. Uh, highly sought after recruit that um, you know Nebraska has very high hopes for. Can he translate that now a full year into the program going into into year two? If he does and he can be that linchpin, that changes the whole dynamic of that offensive line. So I think that's that's where it starts. And um, depending on what he's able to do, will ultimately define how a lot of those other uh, position battles on the line go. Well, think about this. You know, we hit on how thin the wide receiver position is this spring, but the offensive line is going to have sixteen scholarship players on it uh, this spring and that's I mean I don't remember the last time they had 16 scholarship offensive linemen going through spring football um, and so that that I think is is going to be uh, just right there breed a lot of competition 
Um, you know, and I think you could make a case for a guy like Matt Sichterman, who um, who we've heard bits and pieces from, but he's never really seen the field. You know, I think this might be a crucial spring for him to to either move up the depth chart or or you know he might be a guy that we never really hear from again. So um, yeah, that that whole offensive line from top to bottom is is going to be pretty intriguing. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show, and I'll I'll say this too, guys, about receiver. Yes, we know all the heavy firepowers coming in the summer, whether that's Manning, that's Betts, that's Fleming, um, and some of the bigger names like Nixon. Uh, but I think there's an opportunity for maybe one walk on to, to kind of sneak in there, um, whether that's Bennett Folkers or whether that's uh, Christian Banker. I mean, those are two, you know, I think, that are going to get the, the biggest looks. I don't count Cade Warner. He's going to be a part of that. But yeah. I think there's a window for one of those walk ons. And I, just from conversations I've had with those in the program, Falkers and Banker are the two that might have the best opportunity um, to crack in there somewhere. And I don't, I don't know how much that means for the season, uh, but they'll never have a better opportunity than they're going to have this spring. Yeah, I mean, that's all you can ask for as a walk-on, to, to get those chances uh, and establish yourself before that influx of you know freshman talent, Omar Manning, show up uh, this fall. Another guy offensively that might potentially work into that receiver conversation, um, but is also at running backs, Ramir Johnson. Uh, I mean, right now you have Diedrich Mills, and really nobody else as far as a proven commodity in that running back room. And so Ramir Johnson is right now your number two. Can he solidify himself to where he is the no-brainer option when Sevian Morrison and Marvin Scott show up in the fall? I think he's he's got to – I think do a lot of proving over the next couple months here. Um, and, you know, maybe with the opportunity to line up uh, as a receiver, you, he can showcase some of that versatility and make himself more than, uh, you know, a one-trick pony. So um, this is a guy that we've been waiting on for a long time, and he's going to get a chance to show what he can do this spring. Well, and I'll, from there I'll pivot to tight end. Uh, Travis Vokalik is now, you know, that you kind of gotten the – the red shirt off of him or whatever, the, his year that he had to sit after transferring. Um, and, and we've heard awful good things about him. But uh, if you're Kurt Raftall, um, you know, you got Jack Stoll and Austin Allen that have kind of established themselves. Uh, and then you're adding Travis Vokalek to the mix. Well, if you're Kurt Raftall, I mean, this is a big spring to not completely get lost in that mix too. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and, and I think the tight end position is, is kind of developed to where we could see them – play a much larger role in the offense than than what we've seen in the past guys another one i'll throw out there for discussion defensive tackle particularly on the the nose keem green damian daniels jordan riley what will those guys give i mean darian daniels was such a boost last year for nebraska what he gave them I mean, he gave them an nfl draftable nose damian for whatever reason, um, has this not taken that next step. He's only been able to play about 15 to 20 snaps a game tops because of his conditioning level. Will he rise it up to another tier, or is he still going to be too heavy? And then, you know, is Keem Green going to take a step forward? And then Jordan Riley, I'm excited to see what he brings as a veteran former Power 5 guy that played at North Carolina before having to play junior college football this past year. Yeah, uh, for me, I'm, I'm going to be watching Jakeem Green uh, just because I think that you know, he came in here with so much hype and you know he was thought to be a potential instant impact guy last season. And for whatever reason, it never really translated. Now, maybe that was just uh, due to conditioning or whatever it may be. Uh, but, you know, he needs to be the type of player we all expected that he'd be when he committed here. And he's going to, again, uh, there's there's plenty of open doors there for him to make his way into the top of that rotation and will he be able to take advantage and and make that jump that um you know become that that 
go-to player on the defensive line that we all expected he'd be. Yeah, I mean, he certainly has the size and the, the athleticism to do that. Um, you know, there's a reason why Alabama and Georgia and, and South Carolina, Tennessee, I mean, pretty much the entire SEC wanted this kid. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's a great pick there uh, up front, especially at that nose tackle position. Um, and and Jordan, Jordan Riley, too, you know, he's, he's on campus already. You don't know exactly what you're going to get. You know, I think right now my initial take is that Jakeem Green is a little bit more uh, physically talented. But, you know, Jordan Riley's played at this level before, too. So uh, maybe those two working uh, along with uh, Damian Daniels, maybe they, they push each other quite a bit there, uh, get a little bit more production out of that group. Nate, I know you and I had a spirited debate about Ty Robinson and if he's a D nose tackler DN. he'll play both he'll play both so this spring you still expect him to play some nose i do do you? okay i uh, mean based off of what tuioti said last uh, last fall several times he, he said that ty robinson is a guy that can do both for us rotate and he said that he's that rare guy the type of guy that he loves that can play end and nose because it's really about finding the best combo of three well, and you got to rotate guys i mean you got to keep guys fresh if you're doing it the way that tuioti wants to do it you're eight deep at least and you're rotating guys and you've got guys that can play inside and outside um and and robinson he's said it several times he, robinson is a special type of player that can do both for us and when you study the really good teams the the ohio states the clemsons even iowa on the d line they only play their guys 30 to 40 snaps tops a game and and that that's been probably what's killed nebraska the last couple of years is They've had to play their guys 40 to 50 snaps on the D-line, and, and that just adds up over the course of a year. That's why that defense has those late-game meltdowns yep. where they just wear down. I mean, we saw it time and again last season when as good as that defensive front played uh, through the first three quarters, eventually fatigue became a factor, and they got run over in the fourth. And I think in a league like the Big Ten, it's harder to pull that off. In the Big 12, when you're playing maybe some weaker teams that you just had far superior physical talent then, you could get away with it. Well, and how many downhill physical teams are there in the Big 12? Exactly. And the, you're right. There aren't any. I mean, yeah. Texas and Oklahoma try to at times, but not really. I mean, they've, they've gone more spread. And you, you look at the difference of conferences. When you're seeing NFL linemen like you do in the Big 10, it's just a big difference up front where, you know, Pelini, remember guys, Pelini played like, he played Sue and Ty Steinkuhler played every snap that year. They did not come off the field yeah. the entire year as Big 12 D tackles. Yeah. And Dominican Sue is uh, one of the rare people that could probably pull that off. So uh, to ask other defensive linemen to carry that type of workload, I mean, you're setting yourself up for failure. All right. When we come back, we're going to shift over to basketball. As Nebraska basketball has a pair of road games coming up. Um, we'll get Robin Washington's discussion on where this season's at next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show, talking Nebraska basketball as season is winding down here. And more than likely, Nebraska will go into the Big Ten Tournament, Robin, as the uh, the 14 seed, not a spot you want to be. Um, but still a few games left to go before they go to Indianapolis and end this um, what has been the worst season in school history. But, man, Sunday was tough. I mean, I, I was, first of all, shocked that Obviously, it was a sellout still, but 11,400 people showed up to that game Sunday uh, to watch Nebraska, and they just wanted to see Nebraska get a win so they could say, you know what, Fred's got this thing going in the right direction. And, God, it was just a gut punch to watch that game and the, the free throw shooting, 8 of 30. You, you pulled some analytics and stats. Was that one of the worst 
free throw performances really ever um, in terms of the number of shots Nebraska took in that game? Well, especially when you narrow it down to teams that attempted 30 or more free throws. Um, as far as anyone has been able to find, it is the worst percentage of any team that has shot 30 or more free throws. And as far as going back the past decade, it is uh, the fifth worst uh, since 2010-11. So uh, those that made the trip to Pinnacle Bank Arena for one last time this season got to witness history. So. <laughs> You'll remember that well, for the rest of your life. So you were around Coach Hoiberg here before they go out to their, their next road trip. Um, what, what's what been the response? I mean, it's kind of beyond repair at this point. But, yeah. like, what, I mean, what? And, and Nate, we were talking off air about this. Like, it's not like you can simulate more free throw drill. I mean, things are just kind of at where they're at right now. Yeah, and let's clear this up. To think that they don't practice free throws and just all of a sudden, you know, they had that game on Sunday and then, oh, maybe we should start working on our free throws. That's uh, hardly the case. They do it all the time. They do uh, the, the drills where, you know, a guy has to make one or else the whole team sprints and they go around to each players that they have like groups of two or three guys at each basket in, in the Hendricks where – um, they go around and everybody has to make a, a free throw. And then if somebody misses, then they have to start all over again and they can't leave until they all do it. So, I mean, they have tried literally everything in practice, but here's the thing about free throws. They are the number one indicator of mental toughness of a team that you are going to find in the game of basketball, because it is just you, the ball, the rim, and your ability to block out all the distractions, all of the pressure and make a simple shot. And, for some, that is significantly harder than others, and especially for a team right now that is so mentally weak like Nebraska is. I mean, they are a beaten down, defeated team right now, and they already had issues dealing with adversity before they even played their first game together. Now you add in, uh, what, 15, 14 straight losses? Uh, I mean, it just is what it is right now, and that was a perfect example of just kind of uh, how – down this team is right now and I don't know how you repair that in practice it just comes down to being able to hit shots in a game get some confidence back and start believing in yourself that you can actually make those shots what do you think okay so these last few games what is the goal now when, when you start to just look at guys you want to play what you want to do yeah, there's not much more they can do. I mean, they've already been playing uh, the end of their bench a lot more. Uh, a rope's playing a lot. Yeah, and so, I mean, you know, it, it's just one of those deals where you just got to see how guys continue to fight through this thing. Um, I mean, still, every every remaining game is going to be an audition for uh, guys that go beyond uh, your go-to core looking ahead to next year. And so uh, for the Ropes, for the Easleys, for the Kevin Crosses, for uh, the Burks, the Greens, and all that, I mean, this is their time to to show what they could potentially give next year's roster and put it on film and go do it in a, in a live uh, arena where, uh, you know, the, the pressure's on, you're playing a real opponent. So, I mean, I guess from an individual standpoint, there's that. Um, obviously, there's the old cliche of the Big Ten tournament being a new season. Uh, you know, I guess we'll <laughs> see how far that takes them. But uh, really, I think for the most part, everybody just kind of wants to turn the page on this deal. Uh, this season has been a total disaster. I don't think anybody would have expected it would get this bad. I think most people assumed it would be rough. But to put it into this level of 
failure has been uh, unexpected to say the least. So, uh, you know, for these next games, you just try to continue to fight. Hopefully some guys can show individual glimpse of hope, like, like an Ivan, uh, Ivan Wade Rogo, um, you know, players that show they're getting better as the season goes on. And other than that, I don't know how much more you can take. Yeah. According to Yahoo here on our uh, team page for Nebraska, they're 306 in the country right now, Robin and field goal percentage at 400 at 41.2. Yeah, I mean, go down the list. They're 351st in free throw percentage. They're uh, 352nd in uh, block shot percentage. So, I mean, uh, I don't even know if you could find a stat of what they shoot on. I always chuckle in the arena. They'll show, like, those Big Ten stats, and they try to find stats where yeah, Nebraska's the on there. that they're actually good at. And it's like, <laughs> it, it's like defensive re- – like Average possession length. Like, they have they'll, – they'll, <laughs> like, they put them on the big board, and, like, we, we got to show stats where Nebraska somewhere has is in the top ten of the Big Ten, and it's yep. like the most random, obscure – but I mean, so they're they're in the 350s, and there's only 353 Division One teams. So literally, they are among the worst in college basketball in multiple stats. I mean, their offensive rebounding, they're 327th. Uh, you just go down the list. Uh, it's as bad as we've seen it in a long time, maybe ever. Uh, but the good news is. There's only about another week of this, and then you can turn the page to what should be a much brighter future going into next year. So they will play Thursday. Um, we're taping here on Wednesday against Michigan on the road. Five thirty game on FS1. They play Wednesday, right? Or is it Thursday? Thursday. Oh yeah, Michigan. Yeah, that's yeah. Next and year. then um, they have Sunday at Minnesota. That's their regular season finale. It's a noon game um, up in Minneapolis. And then, assuming you know that they will play on Wednesday in the Big Ten tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they'll play. I think right now it's Indiana, who's the 11th seed. In the 11-14. But that can obviously change. I mean, there's the, basically from 1 through 12, it's a total toss-up right now. So we're taping on Wednesday. Within a week, this is all over. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, even if they win a game or two, um, you know, they'll, they'll be done by the weekend. And then so after that, the next step is, you know, they'll take a couple days off. And then that following Monday, uh, Hoiberg's going to have every single player come into his office, and they'll just – have honest conversations about you know the the specific player, their role going forward, uh, and, and then you'll get really busy. Yeah, and then <laughs> you know I, I don't, it's no I don't think it's out out of line to say there probably will be some attrition. I mean, guys are going to see what next year is going to bring and what their role fits into with that, and um, decide that there's probably greener pastures other other elsewhere. So um, yeah, that's when the new season begins, and then once those spots open up, uh, Nebraska will continue to recruit for 2020 to fill out that roster. You're listening here to the Husker online show. Surprised at all with the Big Ten. I mean, the, the finish has been hard to predict with the other teams in this league. I think we thought Maryland would clinch, and here they've lost two in a row now. Mm-hmm. Um, Michigan's kind of fallen back a step. Rutgers has kind of regained some steam. Michigan State you know, looks to me like the team – that's the team to beat right now in the conference going into March, which well, is not a shocker. Yeah, it is March. So that means Michigan State's going to start playing basketball uh, and <laughs> they'll be in the Elite Eight just like every year. But yeah, I mean, I think that's more speaks to how deep this league is this year. The Big Ten's always pretty good, uh, unless Nebraska's good, because then, then the conference is viewed as bad. Uh, but more often than not, uh, the, it's always a deep league, but it's historically deep this year where um, I mean you're right now you're probably feeling pretty good about at least 10 teams making it with you know a team like Purdue that's right there on the bubble and they just beat Iowa so uh, I mean this is as much parity as we've seen top to bottom where you might not have that clear-cut you know dominant team but you have eight 
or even 10 teams that could beat anyone on any given night. And so I think that that has earned this league the reputation as the best in college basketball. And come Selection Sunday, they might uh, have as many teams as we've seen one conference get in a long, long time. You have Michigan-Maryland, 11 a.m. Fox game on Sunday, and then Michigan State, Ohio State. That's the CBS Big Jim Nance game. Um, and, you know, I assume if there's a tie, would Michigan State get the tiebreaker? Or does, I mean, I wonder who would get the one seed. Because right now, Michigan State and Maryland are tied going into the final game on Sunday. Yeah, I don't know what the, the head to head or conference record is. You almost feel for Mark Turgeon because, like, he had this thing. Yeah, and that's the knock on him is that he's always had these extremely talented teams. You can't lose the Rutgers. But once it comes to actually taking it to the next level, they always fall short. I mean, keep in mind, they let a a Nebraska team with six guys beat them one and done in the Big Ten tournament last year. And so, I mean, he's facing some – it's crazy to think that the best team in the best league has a coach that's on the hot seat, but that is very much the case at Maryland. If they don't make a deep run in the NCAA tournament, uh, he's going to be feeling even hotter uh, heat than he's felt in a long time. He's got to get to the Sweet 16. Yeah. Well, for sure. That team is without question a Sweet 16 team. They, in my opinion, are the most talented team in the conference. But again, like you mentioned, they just go through these ebbs and flows where they look like it for a stretch and then they look like a completely different animal the next. Will the Big Ten get a two seed by default? We know they're not going to get a one. Yeah. Do you think the champion best team of the conference gets a two or is it going to be a kind of a a pair of threes and a bunch of... Well, it depends on who wins it. I mean, what if like a a Penn State or an Iowa win it like that? That's probably not going to be good enough to get them a two. So um, for advice for your brackets... If you have a, a Big Ten team that's like a seven or a eight or nine. They're probably two ticks better than that. Yep. So, yeah, it's, make that be your, your tiebreaker when you're picking some of those matchups because you're going to see a lot of Big Ten teams in that second weekend. All right. Well, when we come back, uh, we're going to bring in Husker Online intern Grace Harmon, and we'll take your questions in the mailbag. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, and uh, bringing back in Grace Harmon. It's been a few weeks, Grace, since we've had you um, here for the mailbag, but uh, it's good to have you back here. What, what do you have to lead us off with on the mailbag? All right, nice to be back. But what are your take on the wide receiver room today? Is it early to tell or kind of concerning? Uh, I mean, today it is. It, it's concerning, you know, when you look at Monday spring practice. But I think the first day of practice in August and the first day of practice in March are going to be completely different. I mean, and I know we went over that at length already in the open. Um, just really the receiver position in general, Nebraska is banking on that 2020 class, which when you count Ty Han, five of those guys aren't here yet. And Ty Han, I, I consider a part of that group. Um, so you'll bring in four more bodies plus Ty Han to go with Elante Brown and then the unknown of J.D. Spielman. So uh, today it doesn't feel good, but I think it could get a lot better in a hurry. Yeah, they just need to get through spring because uh, that room's going to look completely different in the fall. Um, the spring game might uh, need some tweaking uh, just with the lack of A lot numbers. of tight end sets. Yeah, lots of tight ends. And, and with running back and wide receiver depth being an issue this spring, uh, that's going to be interesting. But I think, yeah, a lot of help's on the way, and that group is going to look significantly different come August than what it is right now. Yeah, the biggest question for me is how are they going to do the spring game? I mean, you're going to have to probably have some guys go – go both ways but yeah I'm, I'm not really all that worried about it um but you know at the same time you you do or you are going to have to count on a lot of fresh faces to actually be productive so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out all right so how sure are you that omar manning will be better than previous juco wide receivers jaron woodyard mike williams you know that was a great question that we were asked in the chat this week and 
to compare Manning to Woodyard and Mike Williams to me is not even a fair, accurate comparison. Uh, Manning was an Army All-American in high school. He was a four-star recruit in high school. He was the wire-to-wire number one junior college receiver in the country. Woodyard and Williams were kind of late guys. Nebraska just took chances on to fill a transition class. Now, both were on very good junior college teams, East Mississippi and Arizona Western, uh, which no longer even plays football. Uh, And, you know, they took a gamble on both guys and their speed. Uh, But to me, Manning is in a completely different league, and I'm sure Nate would have similar uh, sentiments. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's not even close. And and no disrespect to Woodyard or uh, Williams, but, I mean, when you're talking Manning, Manning is a 6'4", 225-pound dude i mean he's he is the number one juco wide receiver for a reason um you know and and again no disrespect to woodyard and and williams but you know they were like five five ten five eleven you know 180 pound guys and and those guys that are that size with that speed are kind of a dime a dime a dozen but you know we've all heard scott frost say that that manning is an nfl guy already and that he may have, you know, may, maybe has never coached a, a player quite like him before. So, I mean, all, all the accolades and the, and Frost saying that type of thing about Manning, I, I just I don't think there's any type of comparison. Taking your questions in the mailbag with Husker Online intern uh, Grace Harmon. What do you have next, Grace? All right, which walk-ons do you think could contribute one way or another this year? You know, Luke Reimer is is the automatic easy one, Cade Warner. I mean, I think those two guys could contend for starting spots. I'm not going to take any more names because I <laughs> there's only so many to go around. I, I, I could, but those those are the two obvious ones. I know, Robin, we discussed one on the offensive line earlier off air that, that could make an impact from Colorado State. Yeah, uh, you're going to have to print it. Help Nuri Nuelli. Yeah, Nuri Nuelli. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens with his eligibility, right? Because that's still kind of in the air. As of right now, he's sitting out. Is that is that the right? He has to sit out, but there's a decent chance he could get a waiver. I mean, it's yeah. especially with the way the waiver world is gone. Sure. I think Nuri is in a line that he he's a unique one. circumstance too. So yeah, I mean, obviously if he is eligible, suddenly that guard competition, which already is going to be interesting to watch, gets even more interesting with the guy that was a, you know, a starter last year at Colorado state. Um, so he's one to keep an eye on. Um, and as far as the spring, we just talked about the wide receivers. There's going to be a couple walk-ons you're going to hear a lot of this spring and Bennett Folkers and Christian Banker. Uh, they're going to get a lot of reps just out of necessity and who knows, maybe they can uh, open some eyes with those opportunities. Well, now that virtually every walk-on has been <laughs> mentioned, uh, I will say, I'm, I mean, w- Go back to the uh, to the O line competition. I think Trent Hickson will obviously still be in the mix. Um, he's got he's got a lot of playing time in, under his belt, and and you know as of right now he's still kind of the starter. So so he's going to have to be supplanted before. What about uh, kicker? Uh, well, yeah, yeah and there kicker you go, too, Nate. Chase Contreras. Yeah, save that one for you. Yeah, oh, oh, <laughs> we thanks, gave you a guys. starter. <laughs> yeah, boy, I spoon fed one there. Thanks a lot, uh, Chase Contreras. Yeah, uh, the All American kicker from uh, Iowa Western. Uh, he actually he might be the most significant contributor uh, that's a walk on next year. All right, Grace, what's next? All right, so with the combine just wrapping up, uh, were any former Huskers, did they hurt or help their draft stock? Um, there's no doubt the D linemen all helped. I thought. Um, the Davis brothers really led you to believe, man, were they really three, four DNs or, you know, if they would have been in a four, three as inside guys lined up side by side with that speed and explosion, would they have been better fits? I mean, they, I think that will be what we fun to watch now in the NFL. Cause I think they're both inside guys in a four man front. 
I thought the 40 yard dash for Lamar was a tick slow. Um, I think he probably would have liked to have been low four fives to high four fours. He ended up being like a four five eight or four five nine. Is that mm-hmm. right, Robin? Yeah. Um, so you know the length and all that was good with Lamar, but I think and you heard Deion Sanders say if you're a four six corner in the NFL, they're going to find you and they're going to expose you. Um, so I think that speed will be questioned with Lamar Jackson here throughout the process. Yeah, certainly I agree. With the, the the linemen all helped themselves, especially you know Cool Davis running the way he did. But uh, with Lamar, uh, you know there was some thinking that he might not even need to go through pro day uh, if he had a good enough combine. I don't think that's the case. I mean, obviously he didn't run as fast as he wanted to in the forty. There's some drills where he slipped up on. I remember watching one where they made him uh, have to think it's a W drill or whatever, where he had to come back and do it again because he didn't do it right. And uh, so, I mean, the the few glimpses we got of him uh, during that testing period, it didn't go so well. So I think he's got he's got some uh, stuff he needs to make up, and I would imagine he'll do some stuff on pro day, whereas maybe he wouldn't have had he tested better in Indy. Yeah, I think Lamar's going to have to pretty much do everything on pro day, even even the bench press where he, he only had ten reps. Uh, which is probably coming in a little little under what he wanted to do. Obviously, uh, I think he I think it was the lowest out of every DB that was at at the combine. So uh, I'd imagine that he's going to have to do everything. Whereas the Davis twins, um, I don't think those guys are going to have to do much at pro day. Uh, it, it, maybe just the individual drills. As far as the testing, I, I don't think that they'll have to really do much of anything. Uh, because they they pretty much knocked it out of the park. It's going to be a pretty uneventful pro day, guys. I mean, yeah. it, it's going to basically be like the Mo Berry prove himself pro day and Alex Davis maybe and who else? I mean, there's really not a lot of other juice. Um, there's nobody on offense. Mm-mm. I mean, nobody. There's no. I mean, I don't know who would be the guy on offense for Nebraska at pro day. Yeah, there's not. Um, I mean, White Missouri, but I, I don't anticipate he's going through the pro day. Right? I mean, he might be there, but. Um, yeah, you, you think about it. It's it's a really really thin group of guys. I don't expect Tyron Ferguson to show up to pro day. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't either. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, I think it's going to be it's going to be weird. quick. I wonder if they're going to like invite more people from other schools. I know they usually do that already, but the UNK maybe, guys. Yeah, maybe a few more guys since there's more spots available. Might, have, might have some old former Huskers uh, yeah. that show up. So they're like still a, around training, like yeah. a Kyron Williams. I know he's still working out and doing things. So Tommy Armstrong, yeah, Tommy Armstrong, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, it's overall, it's about as thin of a pro day as I can remember. But if if Lamar runs, that will draw some scouts there. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see. All right, Grace. Uh, let's see how much time do we have left. We got time for one more. All right. So a popular topic on the scrolls as of late. What's the best Reuben in Nebraska? Ooh. Well, we are close to St. Patty's Day, so it is a very formidable <laughs> topic of discussion. As my Irish heritage here comes out, um, you know, Barrett's in Omaha has a great one. Um, tell you in Lincoln, Danny's downtown deli. Uh, our, our friend Danny uh, Patrick, the son of former Husker late play-by-play announcer Joe Patrick, makes a great Reuben down the road here. Only open though for lunch. He's not a dinner place, so and it's only open during the week on weekdays. So you got got kind of a smaller window to get into Danny's, but he's got a really good one here in Lincoln. Yeah, that would probably be my vote. And I'll uh, not pretend to know as much about the Reuben sandwich and it's uh, it's the best places around the state as you do uh, because you are a true Reuben expert. But uh, Danny's gets my vote, and I really haven't had that many others. So, yeah, Danny's. Yeah, I'll go with what you guys said. (laughs) I don't know. You guys not big Reuben guys? Not really. If I have a choice between a Reuben and something else, 
unless it's St. Patty's Day, I'm typically yeah. taking I mean, something. I else. like them. I'll eat them. Yeah, I don't. I don't dislike them. I don't like seek them out. Like, mm, I'm gonna go get mm, a Reuben. God, I'm craving a <laughs> Let me ask you guys this: Growing up, did any of your families ever make corned beef and cabbage on St. Patrick's Day? Mm, no. no. Maybe occasionally. No. Yeah, I mean, it was not. A, it was not a yearly tradition. By not a year. Okay. Ne- never. So I'm the only. Uh, I mean, it was a big Irish tradition to have. But since I've started working with you, it's become a tradition <laughs> where I'm, I'm latching on to your Irish heritage. And you could buy some good corned beef kind of towards the end of St. Patty's Day, high V or somewhere yeah. like that. Not sponsored, by the way. Uh, we'll we'll sell it for dirt cheap. You can buy like a whole corned beef for about eight, ten bucks. There was a barbecue establishment that did their own corned beef on Fat St. Jacks. Day. Yeah, Fat Jacks. All right. <laughs> well, legit. Ruben discussion comes to an end. Hey, Grace, thanks for coming in here on the mailbag. Yeah, thanks. All right, when we come back, we'll close the show with some recruiting talk with Nate Klaus next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus talking, recruiting. This segment of the Husker Online Show is brought to you by our friends at Coogler Vision uh, in Omaha. Nate Klaus, tell them the latest and greatest news going on with your good friends at Coogler Vision. Well, yeah, Coogler Vision, uh, you know, it's over 600 five-star reviews. And one of the latest patients, John, uh, says, I see more vividly. I can see my monitor at work without glasses. I see way better at night. And my first sunset was amazing. The colors were beautiful. I truly felt like a VIP here. And and his sentiments line up with mine. I mean, that was one of the first things I noticed with my vision correction was just how vivid the colors were. Uh, I could actually see the leaves on trees. Uh, it wasn't just about being able to to read better or, or, or see better. It was is the colors and being able to see at night. The whole package was great. I encourage you to go to cougarvision.com to see how they can help you all right we're back here on the show nate talking recruiting and you know not a lot going on some junior days will be coming up for nebraska um, in march but i wanted to go down this road um the one-time transfer thing that's being proposed and you're seeing this right now um you know a very very talented um linebacker from north dakota state from kansas city what's his name jabril cox jabril cox a guy that you covered and watched very well, is going to grad transfer from North Dakota State. Um, looks like he's going to go to a high-profile, probably maybe SEC-type place or you know one of the best in the country. Um, but if the NCAA lifts the rule where transfers at the Division One level don't have to sit out, you get a free one-time deal, I mean, don't you get the sense that this is going to become the norm where you know the best players at FCS are going to be kind of poked and poached to go up to the highest level to help their pro stock and – um, it's really going to change, I think, the face of probably FCS football forever. Yeah, I mean, it very well could. Um, and I think that those those F, FCS um, All-Americans, those types of players, the, 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 the big-time standouts on that level – are certainly going to be players that, that get poached or, or that are going to have a lot of options on the table for them. Um, you know, at the same time, though, I, I, I think, I mean, there's always got to be a give and take, right? You, I mean, there's scholarship limits. So I think at the same time, uh, those FCS schools could end up, especially the top-end ones, could end up being schools that, that benefit from, from some of the departures uh, from some of the, the bigger Power 5 schools. But, I mean, the, the whole discussion is pretty fascinating with the way that this could all kind of eventually work out. Um, 
you know, the with the one-time transfer rule, with without being any type of penalty, you don't lose a year of eligibility, you don't have to sit out. Uh, now, obviously, there are stipulations. You, you First and foremost, you have to be in good academic standing, um, which is something earlier in the show we didn't quite hit on with J.D. Spielman. You know, with him leaving midway through the spring semester, I'm not sure what that does with his academics. Uh, but you, but you have to be in good academic standing. You have to uh, you cannot be suspended by your team. Um, you you uh, you have to get a release from your team. So um, you know, and, and that's kind of a dirty game that most most schools don't want to go down. But if they feel like they're being poached um, or that that other teams are kind of uh, operating unfairly, they don't necessarily have to re- release that player uh, if they don't want to. Yeah, that, that's what's going to be interesting because all these Power 5 programs, particularly Big Ten SECs and the Oklahomas and the Texases and the Clemsons of the world, they have such additional bodies on their staff that you could almost have like an internal FCS scouting staff. Like, all right, who are some FCF guy, FCS guys that we can keep on our radar and maybe tamper with or at least put a feeler out to the high school coach or somebody without crossing a line? Because um, that is the fear to me with this one-time transfer rule. You know, like a couple of years ago, South Dakota State had a, a tight end that got drafted, a really good tight end. And I mean, what what would stop like a Nebraska or Wisconsin or an Iowa from saying, "Hey, you know what? We produce NFL tight ends at at Iowa. Why don't you come down and play for us, and and we'll we'll make you more money and get you ready um, in a real system for the next level, and you'll play against better players." Um, so I, I don't know why the NCAA is you know, really wanting to go down this right route. I mean, the theory out there is the name, image, and likeness thing. They don't want that to happen. So this is kind of like a horse trade. All right, we're not going to let the name, image, and likeness happen, but we will now allow one-time transfers. And it feels to me like they're trying to trade that off or the other. Yeah, um, that, I mean, that could be. The, the, <laughs> there's somewhat of a trade. I, to me, it feels like they – you know, and I don't know. Um, I could be out of out of line by saying this, but I don't know how much the NCAA truly does care about the student athletes. Uh, they're making so much money that uh, that I think sometimes they are going to do and say things to make it seem like they care about the student athletes. So by saying, "Hey, look, we're going to allow, we're going to give you a one-time transfer free of penalty," um, you know, that that makes it look like they care about the the student athlete and. And I mean, if it passes and it goes through, then yeah, that's that's a win for the student athlete. But um, you know, I agree. I mean, it's there's a little bit of a slippery slope here. There's going to have to be some some rules put in place, and uh, or eventually, because anytime you have a big sweeping uh, deal like this, or, you know, where where there's new legislation, whether it is with the uh, the one-time transfer or with an, with the name, image, and likeness, there's always unintended consequences that happen. Um, that you have to follow up and, and try to shore up because there's going to be the schools and the people out there that find the loopholes and really exploit that for their benefit. Well, the other thing, too, they're going to have to revisit if this does come uh, to, to pass is the 25-man rule, uh, meaning yeah. today a transfer counts on your 25-man um, scholarship list. Well, if these new rules come into play, it's going to just take away scholarship opportunities from high school kids because you're going to probably – be more aggressive on transfers than you were before, knowing that transfers can play immediately. So will that 25 number ever increase? And, you know, I've heard some good theories on that. Like, could they do a formula where, you know, if you lose two players, you get one on your 25, so you can take 26. If you lose six, you can take 28. Kind of have some floaters. Uh, Yeah, just a way to increase your 25 because it is very difficult 
you know, to to keep your team at 85 now with with the transfer stuff, and it's going to get even harder if this happens. Yeah, it is going to become more difficult. Uh, or or we're just going to see instead of schools signing 25 or or even you know anywhere in the the lower 20s, yeah, I mean, we could end up seeing schools that. That, uh, that sign recruiting classes that are closer to, you know, 15 to, to 18. Like a group of five program. Yeah. You know, if you're like a Florida Atlantic or Florida International, some of those places are, you know, anybody. They live and die by transfers. Yeah, and you can get immediately eligible transfers from your part of the country. All of a sudden, those those teams could probably really benefit off this new rule, um, especially if they can hold back spots. And if yeah. you're a, like a Rutgers or a lower a lower tier team, I mean, they could actually really win off this transfer rule too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different angles and, and layers to this thing that it, it's it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. And and maybe the biggest or the most interesting thing is how fast does this go into action? Because everything I've read, and, well, yeah, I mean, everything that that I've read and seen so far is is that this is this is happening and it's happening pretty pretty quick. Uh, and it's it was being voted on in April, uh, but when it actually goes into action, I mean, is it going to be immediately if it passes that it's immediately uh, available to for athletes to do? Now, remember the four game um, or the transfer portal thing didn't go into effect until October first. Yeah. So theoretically, I think it was supposed to not affect that season, but it did in, in Nebraska sense, where Ty John Lindsay and guys like that tried to leave with just four games in to yeah. go elsewhere um, quickly. Nate, I actually had TJ Bowlers. Um, you know, there's a time where it felt like Nebraska was a team to beat. He went to Wisconsin or had some really, really glowing things to say about Wisconsin. What's your feel right now on TJ Bowlers? This well, point? I mean, I don't know if Nebraska's ever been the team to beat. I think they've been as good as tied with Wisconsin. I think the I think the Badgers have always been kind of the the leader or or in that upper group, um, you know, along with Nebraska. But I think right now it's definitely the Badgers are are the team to beat. Uh, the the last visit. He he's I mean he raved about the last visit, calling Madison the you know by far and away the best college town in America, uh, saying that uh, you know that the visit to Madison was kind of the missing piece to his recruitment, um, and and on and on and on. I mean he I'm, when I'm saying he had glowing things to say, I mean he really he really kind of blew it out of the water. So um, yeah, I think the Badgers are by far and away the the team to beat right now, but. You know how does he how does he handle the rest of his recruitment? Because he has stayed pretty consistent in saying that he's going to take all of his visits. Um, one of those official visits is going to be to Nebraska. Um, you know, and, and and you know one will be to to Wisconsin. One will be to Cal. Um, one interesting enough, uh, interestingly enough, is is going to be to Army. Um, and I'm drawing a blank on on that uh, on the fifth one. But uh, he's he's said that he's going to take all those trips and, and it'll more than likely be a late June uh, decision. So if he if he stays true to that, you know, Nebraska still has some time to make up some ground here, but uh, it's definitely not going to be easy. Maybe the biggest loser in this whole bunch is Iowa, though. I mean, because you're talking about one of the top players in the state, one of the top overall outside linebackers in the country uh, who lives, you know, 10 minutes from Iowa City, who's a, a Hawkeye legacy, is not even taking an official visit to your school, is not considering you as one of his top five choices. Well, lots to keep tabs on. Spring practice starts Monday. Uh, Nebraska baseball as well this weekend. Home opener should have beautiful weather at Haymarket Park. Four games with Columbia. So make sure you're logged on to HuskerOnline.com as we'll keep you up to date on everything. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.